This morning we continue our series on the Beatitudes that we call Jesus' Vision for a Happy New Year. And because today's Beatitude comes in that second half, it really is closer to what we might call a resolution. It is something we would aspire to be and to do. So listen to this reading beginning in chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart basically meaning same on the inside as the outside. No gap between what one thinks internally and what one does externally. No gap. Now, I realize this is not the most scholarly of responses, but when I hear that, I'm thinking, "Uh uh-huh, good luck, Jesus. Seriously, good luck. Do you think for a moment that he could imagine that these fishermen he had called, or these diseased and destitute folks tagging along had any chance of pulling that off? Purity of heart, same inside and outside, and not just some of the time, but all of the time? Good luck. Two weeks ago, my wife and I were on a beach in Mexico. Winter getaway, last day we're at breakfast out on the terrace because all the meals were on a terrace. It's 80 degrees. And I couldn't help but overhear this conversation of this man at the next table. He was talking about his heart. Not not the way Jesus does here, but his heart. A procedure he had coming up when he got back. And there was such a, a tenderness in the way he talked. And then the conversation switched to somebody else they knew that was going through some struggles And he was so tender. I mean, it seemed like purity of heart. But I nearly choked on my orange juice because all week long, this guy had been the most obnoxious and crude. If we'd have voted, we would have voted him most obnoxious. I mean, you couldn't couldn't go anywhere in the resort and people weren't talking about it. He was putting down the beers and he was putting out you know what. Over and over again. One night on the bus that took you to one of the all-inclusive restaurants, he and his entourage got off a a stop before the rest of us, and as soon as they got off, everybody breathed a sigh of relief. Even with masks on, you could hear it. And yet, 
for all that crustiness on the outside, here was this, this tenderness inside. Does that count? Or I think about Esther. My wife's grandfather married Esther very late in life after his wife of many years had passed away, second marriage. And Esther, well, she had a good, thick Texas accent, and she was always saying, isn't that right, Brother Mike? And she would talk about church and the Bible. She was always quoting scripture, isn't that right, Brother Mike? And she'd talk about her preacher. I mean, her faith, it was as sweet as maple syrup, but maybe just a little too sweet. You, you know what I mean? It did not take long for all of us, including my wife's poor grandfather, to realize that inside she was bitter and petty. She could quote a verse of the Bible in one breath and in the next spew poison. So that's why I say good luck, Jesus, finding somebody that's got it all together inside and out and always matching up. It's not surprising that some scholars actually link this parable, or this beatitude, the pure in heart, with another verse, the last verse of the same chapter, which just happens to say, therefore, be perfect, as my heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> perfect? Do any of you go bowling? Have you ever been bowling? You know what perfect is? It's 12 strikes in a row. And you're supposed to bowl 300 every time. No wonder this beatitude comes with the highest reward of them all. You will see God. Nobody gets to see God in the Bible. Well, Moses got that one little glimpse at God's backside. And that's it. This is, this is big stuff. It was about three centuries before the time of Jesus. There was a philosopher by the name of Diogenes, and he went throughout the streets of Athens looking for an honest man. Actually, the translation would be more accurate to say, the perfect human being. He had a lantern, even though it was midday, and he would hold it up to people's face, looking for the perfect human being. Well, good luck. I mean, Mother Teresa is a pretty high bar. You remember she spent her whole life in Calcutta caring for the disease, for the poor, there in the streets. But when she passed away, we got a glimpse of her journal, her diary, and she confessed she had doubts and that she had battled depression. Does that, does that disqualify her from being pure in heart? I don't know if you made a list, I mean a real list of resolutions, you know, like lose so many pounds, start exercising, read the Bible, I don't know. But if you did, can you imagine writing underneath those, I'm going to live pure in heart, perfect life. Would Jesus laugh? I mean, you know how your friends laugh when you put, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Would Jesus laugh if we dared to say we're going to live pure in life? What would that even mean? What would it look like? In the early centuries of the church, one of the church fathers, St. Augustine, said, this is about sexual purity. Now, that probably says more about Augustine than it does about this verse. Because Augustine had a concubine and famously prayed and wrote it down for all the world to read, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. I think the verse extends itself to sexual purity, but I don't think that's the main thing. 
Other church fathers said, no, 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 that's not it. It's about dealings with others, you know, like in business and within the village. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, the world is so different. They probably didn't understand, you know, about supply and demand or how much the market can bear. And, and I think the verse probably does extend to how we treat others, but I don't think that is the main thing. In fact, I think the main thing is one thing. You tear up the list and you just write one thing. That's really what this purity of heart is about. It's soul devotion to God. That's it, soul devotion to God. You don't add it to a list. It is the list. I think some background helps, though. The word that gets translated pure is, can also be translated clean, and it is elsewhere in Matthew's gospel, clean, the clean of heart. Because, see, Jews understood clean and unclean. There were these two categories. You were either clean or you were unclean. And it happened all the time that you would come in contact. You, you, could, you could become unclean by sinning, but that wasn't the, the main thrust. You could become unclean because you came in contact with someone who was diseased or a woman's menstrual cycle could make her unclean. And so they had these ritual baths called a mikvah, and you can still see them in Israel. And you would go to the ritual bath, a kind of forerunner to baptism. And entering the water would now make you clean. You could go to the temple. You could offer your sacrifice. But what Jesus does is up the ante. He doesn't throw that system under the bus, by the way. He's, he's a good Jew. The very first story after the Sermon on the Mount, he cleans someone who is unclean and says, go show yourselves to the priest. But what he does now is up the ante. It is not enough to be clean on the outside. You're going to need the inside to be clean as well. One thing. I don't know if you've heard me tell the stories, but when I was in seminary, master's and part of PhD, uh, for a job, I was a chauffeur in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I drove a few famous people and have some good stories about that. But most of the time, it was just ordinary folks that had some money. This one time, it was a Puerto Rican businessman from New York City. He was in Dallas to check on one of his radio stations. This man owned Christian radio stations all over the country which I'm guessing is better than being a drug dealer, right? But if you hang around somebody in a limo, you hear things. And it didn't take long to realize he did not care about Christian radio or gospel or Bible. He cared about profit. And the way he talked about the people that worked for him at the stations, he called them simpletons, easily duped. You see, the opposite of pure in heart is hypocrisy. But in the Gospel of Matthew, it's a very specific kind. This is not the kind of hypocrisy where somebody pretends to be good and does evil. It's the person who does good, but for the wrong reason. Different on the inside than from the outside. Last week at the table, Carla referenced a line from Soren Kierkegaard that Jesus doesn't want admirers but followers. I'd been reading Kierkegaard, and so it was just perfect timing. I looked it up again, that passage. He says that the difference is that a follower understands Jesus makes a claim on our lives. Now, you don't know much about Kierkegaard, probably don't care much about Kierkegaard. You, you do know one of his contemporaries, Hans Christian Andersen. 
But these two were so different. People stopped naming their boys Soren because of Kierkegaard. They thought he was a madman. See, Denmark saw itself as a kind of Christian nation, but as far as Kierkegaard was concerned, they were just going through the motions, and so he wanted real, authentic Christianity, and he was radical about it. The collection of sermons that I was reading is called Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. And you can see where he got that. So he has these images. Like he says, people, people want to jump into the deep end with God and to follow Jesus into the deep, but we kind of like to stay in the shallow too, where at least one foot can touch the bottom. Or he says it's like, we think following Jesus is like remodeling a room where you just say, well, you know, a new throw rug, maybe some blinds, that, that'll do. And he says, no, no, no. What Jesus wants is to tear it all down and to start on a new foundation. Or I love the, the place where he says, you know, people pretend like these teachings of Jesus, boy, they're just really hard to understand. And he says, they're not hard to understand. They're just hard to live. We don't want to. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Now, if you're thinking like, like I was, uh-huh, still, good luck, Jesus. Maybe something here helps. Two things. When Jesus says later in that chapter, therefore be perfect, that's not a good translation. A better translation would be, be whole, be complete. It's still a high bar, I'll grant you that, but it is not perfection. It's, it's wholeness. And here's the kicker. It is apparently achievable. You can do this. Here's why I say that. That word perfect or whole gets used again later in the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 19, maybe you remember this story. Rich young man comes to Jesus. They're having a little talk. Jesus, the man says, so what, what do I need to do to have a meaningful life? The translations say eternal life. It really means meaningful. What do I have to do to have a meaningful life? And they talk about the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus says this. If you want to be whole, go and sell your possessions and follow me. And we usually pay attention to, and we try to chase that rabbit. But did you hear it? If you want to be whole. Apparently, if he had done that, he would have met the standard of wholeness. What if... What if this wholeness, this purity of heart is achievable for us? And what if it maybe is even different for each of us? What if for some of us it is some external thing and we say, you know what? I am going to help with refugees. I am going to serve at Micah. Feed the poor. Or maybe, maybe it's internal. Maybe it's some kind of selfish streak or greed or I don't know. Do you know that Buddhist saying, your purpose in life is to find your purpose in life? Actually, I was thinking about another wise voice. I should probably use air quotes. Do you, you remember Curly the Cowhand played by Jack Palance in that old movie City Slickers? Billy Crystal plays Mitch. He's an advertising executive, makes a good living, lives in Manhattan, but... He doesn't, he, I don't know, he's looking for something. So he and his buddies, they go to the dude ranch, they're going to go on this cattle rustling thing. And in one scene, 
Mitch and Curly riding horseback are a little bit separate from the others. And Curly, the old cowhand, says, these city slickers are all the same. You come out here looking for something, the meaning of life, I don't know what it is. You're all the same. He says, you want to know the meaning of life? One thing. One thing. You find this one thing and nothing else matters. One thing. And Mitch says, so what's that one thing? And he says, that's what you've got to figure out. 